Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Acts chapter number 20, and as you're turning there, you're not without being busy around here the next few days either. Tomorrow night at the church, 7.30, power hour prayer. Friday night is family game night, starting 7.30 in the back. Saturday morning is men's breakfast at Twin Rivers at 8 o'clock. And back in here on Sunday, so you got plenty of things to do. Everybody's got a full schedule. All right. Everybody's got a full schedule. So remember those things, amen, to come and be a part of those. And prayer, prayer, fun, eating, and church. I mean, come on. How much better can it get? How much better can it get? I'm going to turn to Acts. I'm going to start with chapter, verse rather, verse number 7 here this evening. And just as a, uh, a point of information as well, if you're going to try to contact me or my wife in the next uh, few days, um, you'll just have to wait for us to get back to you. Of course, you can't have your phones in the prison, and we're only going to be out of prison maybe twice a day. That's just to eat something real quick and go back in. And so uh, just leave us a message. If it's, if it's something emergency or pressing, you can call Bishop or Brother Mason, and uh, they'll help you in whatever way that they can if it's an emergency. Acts chapter number 20, going to start with verse number 7. I'll kind of summarize the first six verses. Uh, we're not going to get real in-depth in them. A lot of them just has to do with Paul's travel. So I'm going to start with verse 7 here this evening. It says, and upon the first day of the week, When the disciples came together to break bread, Paul preached unto them, ready to depart on the morrow, and continued his speech until midnight. I like this guy. And there there were many lights in the upper chamber where they were gathered together. There sat in the window a certain young man named Eutychus, being fallen into a deep sleep. And as Paul was long preaching... He sunk down with sleep and fell down from the third loft and was taken up dead. Paul went down and fell on him, embracing him, said, Trouble not yourselves, for his life is in him. When he therefore was come up again and had broken bread and eaten and taken a long while, even till break of day, so he departed. They brought the young man alive and were not a little comforted. We're not a little comforted. Amen. Tonight, I, I want to, I, I really, man, I was getting real hopeful that I was going to try to get through a whole chapter tonight. But as I was going and was not finished and was on page 13 of notes, I decided that probably wasn't going to take place. And so I cut it off somewhere toward further up in order to fit it in just for tonight. And we'll just continue on next week. But tonight, I want to... Uh, basically label this things I've learned not me personally but from the Apostle Paul things I've learned there are four things in particular points tonight that want to highlight that that Paul learned number one uh, your 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 there are fruits to your labor he learned that there's fruits to his labor number two people fall asleep in church number three <laughs> number three is that you must have integrity in ministry or leadership. And number four, that 
you must teach people how to die. You must teach people how to die. Four things that he learned. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I come to you this evening. I'm so grateful tonight, God, for your spirit, God, that we have felt, Lord, in this place, Lord, for the songs that have been sung. I pray, oh, Lord, help my mind and my words, God, mark any bit of air from them. God, I pray, Jesus, to be able to convey something, Lord, in such a way, God, that we can learn, comprehend, understand, perhaps be inspired by the word of the Lord. I pray, oh, Lord Jesus, grant each and every individual in this place, God, understanding tonight, God, as we look at your word and the scripture, in the lovely name of Jesus Christ that I pray, amen and amen. Everyone say amen. You may be seated tonight. Can you put my map on the screen? It'll be all right. Nothing's blowing. It don't seem like tonight. I must be in the right spot. Amen. This is a map of the Apostle Paul's third missionary journey. And I put that up there really for our benefit of these first few verses here tonight uh, by looking at this, this first missionary journey. If you remember where we left off last time, I'll try to point it out with you with the little red dot right there at Ephesus, last chapter. That's where Paul was. The, the worship of the temple, Diana, the great uproar for two hours of them crying that. And remember, there was finally some calm that was brought by the town's clerk and seemed like everything seized and the place dismissed. And so the, the chapter 20 kind of opens up that after that uproar and everything seized that Paul decided he was going to leave Ephesus. And if you can see, I know these arrows get all... Oh, wonky here. But he is headed towards back towards Macedonia, towards this era right here, whenever he leaves Ephesus. He's going to go up this way, and he's going to head back toward Macedonia. And he does that. He goes toward that Macedonian region. As a matter of fact, if you'll remember, uh, in chapter 19, verse 22, while he was in Ephesus, he had already sent a couple of people over to that Macedonian region. He had sent uh, Timotheus, I think it was, for one of the individuals, and Aristus, uh, Rastus, rather, to that area as well. And remember, he's doing this probably because he's collecting the monies that they were uh, raising for the Jerusalem church. So he sent them on ahead of time to go on and gather all that. And so now that's where he's headed uh, to join them in the gathering of that. And whenever he gets over there, he does what Paul does. Paul, if you can't read the epistles and understand this, Paul loves the church. I'm telling you that. Paul is in love with the church. He loves establishing churches. He loves checking on the welfare of the churches. He loves to exhort and encourage the churches. Paul is in love with the church. And so he gets over here in Macedonia. Man, that's over in some old stomping grounds for him. Berea, Thessalonica. I mean, what is a guy to do but go around and start talking to some of the places he's been and encouraging the churches, exhorting the churches, some of the places that he's been at. The Bible says after he was at Macedonia for a while, he went south down here to Greece, which was also known as the Roman province of Acacia. So he goes down there, and it's from this location down here that he plans to go from here all the way over to Syria because, see, that's where Jerusalem is. He plans on making that trip. But while he is there in Greece, and the Bible says he stayed for about three months there in Greece, that while he is there, he starts hearing in the rumor mail about the Jews are lying in wait to do some type of harm unto him. And it even goes to reason because we are stationed right now in the timeline events of the Jews, uh, the, 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 the feast, of, the feast of, uh, of, of Passover has happened and taken place. And so 
the Feast of Pentecost, which is 50 days after that, is very soon to take place. And so according to the Jewish law, what do the Jews have to do? They've got to make their trek to Jerusalem as well to celebrate the feast. They, there were three major ones they were to keep, Tabernacles, Passover, and Pentecost. And so they, they, many of them are making their trek to Jerusalem as well. There are probably several that are sailing from the Greece area there, here around Corinth and Athens, probably several that's sailing from there. And imagine how, how convenient it would be a bunch of Jews that had a bone to pick with Paul and to burn their saddle with Paul. Boy, I wish he would just get on our ship, you know. <laughs> Maybe it would man overboard before the journey's over, you know, and we get across. the. So Paul has heard that there's things going in the rumor mill that there's some Jews just lighting, laying in wait uh, to do him some type of harm. And so while they're devising some type of plan uh, to do this, Paul thinks, you know what? I don't have time for this. I don't have time to mess with this. I, I, got a, I got a purpose. I got a plan. I can't chance anything happening. And so he doubles back to Macedonia. He reroutes back to where he just came from, to Macedonia. And he's there just for a little period of time. And as he is there, he's going to then travel on from Macedonia, and he's going to make his way around over here to Troas. But the interesting thing is the Bible says there are some people, you look at it in verse 4 of your Bibles, Acts 20, that there are some people there that are accompanying the, the Apostle Paul. And this is where I want to point out one of the things that Paul learned is that there are fruits to your labors. Can you imagine how Paul's heart must have swelled up inside of him to see as he's now going place to place, there are others that are accompanying him on his trip back to Asia. And the people that are accompanying him is not people that's totally foreign to him. These are people that he knows. These are people that have been the fruits of his labors. These are people that have been saved in the churches that he established in some of these notable places over in uh, those areas of Macedonia. The Bible speaks of some of the people that were there. You look at it again there in verse number 4. There were some people there that were from Berea. He had preached in Berea. He helped establish a work there. There's some people there from Thessalonica. He had preached there. He established a work there from Derby. Same thing over and over again. It seems to be the cause. There were some people from Asia. Man, the word of God, he started in Asia, filled all of Asia, if you will remember, seemingly from the vantage point of Ephesus. And so with this being said, these people that are accompanying him, his heart must be swelling because he understands. I know it, sometimes you get tunnel vision. You know, he's at this work and surely some good's done. He's here and good's done. But now, now that he is departing, now he's going his way. He has this company of people and they're his children, so to speak. They are the fruits of his labor. The Bible says in Philippians chapter number 2 and verse number 15, whenever the apostle Paul was writing to the church of Philippi, he says to those Philippians, that ye may be harmless, or blameless first, may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world. Verse 16, holding forth the word of life, that I, Paul says, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. You know what Paul's telling the Philippian believers, those that had king part and been birthed through the Philippian church? He's saying this, 
I will rejoice. I will rejoice in the day of Christ. Or I will rejoice whenever the Lord comes back. Whenever I know that you all have completed your race as being the sons of God and that you remained blameless and harmless. And although your environment wasn't conducive to that, you was in a crooked and a perverse nation, your environment was not conducive to that, but you still remained sure-footed concerning the things of God and you allowed your light to shine in a darkened environment and you still upheld the world of, the word of truth in a darkened environment he says you know what he says I believe that I can finish strong amen feeling like something was accomplished that I've ran my race and I labored not in vain knowing that you all kept it together I think I could stand with the apostle Paul if someday rapture day comes, that I see some of your faces and that you continued your life in the journey that you started on. That you let your light shine in the darkness. See, you know what that was saying? For Paul was saying, I understand that someday, even if I don't see it on the earth, that someday I'll understand there were fruits to the labor that I bestowed. Amen. He further tells him Philippians 4 and 1. He says, therefore, my brethren... Dearly beloved and longed for, my joy and crown. So stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. Here Paul is telling those Philippian believers, he says, you all are my joy and my crown. In other words, he said, my head is adorned with the souls that I've influenced and the souls that I impacted for the gospel's sake. As a matter of fact, there are at least five crowns that we see mentioned of in Scripture. One of them is called the crown of rejoicing, what other peoples call the soul winner's crown. Because souls become the crown of those that have preached the gospel, ministered the gospel, testified, witnessed the gospel, and people acting upon that which has been said become a, almost an adorning crown for those who perpetuated the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, whether it be pastor, preacher, teacher, evangelist, or saint on a pew. The Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 2 and verse 19, Paul reaching, preaching to the church or writing to the church at Thessalonica, he says, for what is our hope or joy? Or crowned of rejoicing? Are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? So he's not just saying, are not ye in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ right now? But are you going to be in his presence whenever he calls his church home? Because see, there's the deal breaker. It's not about not just showing up now. But it's about living in such a way you can show up in his presence then. <laughs> At his coming, he said, for ye are our glory and joy. He states basically then to the Thessalonians, another church, if you make it to heaven, he said, that in part will be a reason for my own joy. If you make it to heaven, that in part will be a reason for my own hope. And again, you all will be like a crown unto me. And it's for these reasons then that the apostle Paul is thankful 
Amen. For these that are accompanying him this moment on his way back to Asia. Amen. Because these were people that had been influenced and impacted by his ministry. And if not directly, indirectly, by there being a church set up in a city and a town that otherwise would not have had one had not Paul walked by that way, went to a synagogue, got some Greeks together, and began to minister the word of the Lord. Amen. Just as a little literary side note, verse number 5, the Bible says, these going before tarried for us at Troas. We see here in the scripture that uh, the good old Dr. Luke has rejoined the group. We lost him somewhere along the way. It, it kind of switched to a, a third person writing and now it's switching back to first person writing. So that tells us that Luke has rejoined the group. And so here he is now along with the group again. The Bible says they're going to leave that area and they're going to go to Troas. Of course, you know, Paul has a hard time going directly from one place to another place without making some pit stops. And so he goes to Philippi and then he reaches over here uh, to Troas. The Bible says it takes them about five days to reach Troas. And then they are going to remain at Troas for seven days. And whenever they remain at Troas for seven days... The episode of my text reading to you tonight happened at Troas whenever they were there. And so the Bible says that it was the first day of the week and that the disciples had gathered together. They were going to break bread and Paul began to preach a lengthy sermon. Amen. He began to preach a lengthy sermon. They come together for breaking the bread. Now breaking the bread, there's two ways of breaking the bread. Breaking the bread can simply be a meal. And then breaking the bread, sometimes the scripture refers to communion or what is known as the Lord's Supper. Amen. It seems at this time that the disciples have got together and they held a meal. Oftentimes they held a meal that was called a love feast. We even see this in 1 Corinthians 11 where it talks about communion. They held a love feast and then after that they would have the Lord's Supper or communion. A love feast, for modern day terminology, a love feast was dinner on the ground. <laughs> it was a good old fashioned potluck. Amen. And so after that, many times they had the Lord's Supper or, if you will, communion that would take place. Nevertheless, the Bible says that Paul preached until midnight. Now, it, 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 it's, it's, it's probably good uh, assumption that service even didn't start till everybody had got done working for this particular day, which normally they worked from sunrise to sunset. And so whenever the sun set, that's when they probably had service. And so with that being said, from that moment in time forward, Paul is speaking and preaching until midnight. And the reason, one of the reasons why, let's give him a little room here for play. One of the reasons why this is happening is because he's departing the next day. I'm departing tomorrow too. <laughs> I mean, how convenient. But the second thing that Paul learned now in his life is this. People fall asleep during church. <laughs> Pat's just very boisterously nodding here. As though he's a witness of this or something. I know I've witnessed it. I can tell you. But the Bible says there's this young man. It states a young man. states a young man, Eutychus. Who, by the way, it's interesting, Eutychus' name means fortunate. It's quite, that's just the way the Bible works, folks, I'm telling you. Their name is their nature. He's fortunate because he fell down and he died and he was brought back to life. So Eutychus, this young man, fell asleep while the apostle Paul was preaching. And we might add in there, he was preaching a long sermon. 
Now, the Bible says that Eutychus, where this room where they were gathered and they had lights on, that Eutychus sat in a window, all right? He sat in a window. So if we could come to terms with this, he was at the perimeter of the room. He's sitting in a window. If I state it another way, he was as far from what was happening without being totally disconnected from what was happening. And the Bible says, I'm not trying to laugh at this, but he fell out of the window. From the third loft, the Bible says, and he died. As a matter of fact, Dr. Luke said that he was taken up dead. And if a doctor says you're dead, you're dead. The reason why there's scholars, some people say, oh, he wasn't really dead. They're kind of do the Jesus uh, crucifixion, dying. Oh, he never died. If Dr. Luke said, the physician said he's dead, he's dead. He was taken up dead. Now, if you have ever nodded off, not necessarily in church, but ever. Has anybody ever just nodded off? Can I just have a show of hands? Yeah, some hands are. Tasha's never nodded. She's always asleep. No, I just know. We're just waiting for her to wake up, you know. If you've ever not, Brother Terry, you know if you've ever nodded off, you're sitting in maybe a, a chair or even Pat is a good illustration. <laughs> Pat's a good illustration on our men's trip. He, he falls asleep, and if it, I think that's the reason why Pat wears a seatbelt, so it keeps him upright whenever he falls asleep because he falls forward. He falls forward. But if you've ever nodded off, you know that your head will fall forward or it will fall backward based upon which direction you're leaning. Typically, if you're leaning forward, your head's going to fall forward. Typically, if you're leaning back whenever you fall asleep, your head's going to go. Right? So typically, your head goes whatever direction that you are leaning. This is the most profound statement I got for you. But Eutychus fell out the window because that's the direction Eutychus was leaning. Had he been leaning in, it would have been less tragic for Eutychus. But he was leaning away from what was going on. For that matter, let's go a step further. Had Eutychus been leaning in, it would not have required a miracle to help him get back to life. Oh, there's so much that we could just unfold with application here for us tonight and take this story on the literal level and move it to a spiritual level. That times, most times, people in church fall whatever direction they are leaning. And it was one that was on the perimeter of the church that fell asleep and failed to begin with. <laughs> and that had he been leaning in, it would require a miracle to get him back to where he was. But since he was leaning out, it took a miracle. Oh, God, help me tonight. Amen. And it is absolutely relative and truthful for even today, the day in which we live. It, listen, whenever you fall outside the church, it is only because of a miracle of God that you ever get back in the church. But if you, if, if you are in the church and you can fall forward into the church, honey, we can, might be able to brush you off a little bit and get you back. Some, but if you fall out, many times it takes a miracle to get you back. Amen. And so the Apostle Paul is up here. <laughs> this is not funny. 
But, I mean, there, in one moment he casts his eyes over there and there's Oeuticus, you know, sitting on the window and he noticed that he's a little drowsy over there. He noticed that he's gone as far away as he can from everything, but he's sitting there and all of a sudden there's no Eutychus. Now, I understand it happens to me. I look around and so-and-so's on such-and-such pew for the most part most of the time. Then all of a sudden there's no so-and-so. And look what Paul does. He's in the middle of a sermon, folks. Lengthy, yes, but a good sermon. He's going to leave tomorrow. He's given departing words. The Bible tells us Paul stops what he's doing. He goes down to where Eutychus is at. Dead. He goes down to him. The Bible says, I like the word, says he embraces him. And then he tells everybody, hey, take heart because there's still life yet in him. Wasn't that he wasn't dead, it was that through the embrace, through the concern of the Apostle Paul, through that embrace, God brought that boy back to life. Let me tell you, there's people that fall out the window from time to time, and as pastor, and as bishop, and as other people in this church, sometimes we just got to get down to where they are, embrace them, and hopefully by a miracle, amen, they can get ministered back to life. And I want you to notice. Whenever the story comes to a, a, a culmination and an end, the Bible says, and they brought the young man alive, and they were not a little comfort. You know what? They didn't take the boy home. After he came back alive, they didn't take him home. You know what they did with him? Said, let's get you back in church. Said, Let, let's get this boy back in church. Amen? Because the best place to take somebody after they were dead and were brought back to life is get their, get their carcass back in the house of the Lord. Get their... Yes! Get them back in church. Because in reality, life cannot be sustained any other way unless it's connected to the life source. Amen? The church. And so Paul learned that People fall asleep during church. As a matter of fact, the tense of the Greek verb of this falling asleep thing indicates that Eutychus was gradually overcome. Not suddenly, but gradually overcome with sleep. And so if you look at the progression, or probably more properly if I said digression, if you look at the digression, Eutychus sits on a window. The Bible says he falls asleep. He fell asleep, rather. He sunk down. With sleep, then he fell out the window and died. That is not funny, but it's just getting me. It's funny. There was that digression. This was a gradual thing. Hmm? He came in and took a spot on the perimeter where everything was happening. He got drowsy. He closed his eyes. He nodded his head. He was leaning back. He sunk down. He sunk out. He died. Listen, anybody that, if you ever see anybody leave the house of God, if they ever leave and per se backslide, they did not in one service on a Sunday night when things were going hippity-hoppity, all of a sudden decide, you know what, when I walk out tonight, this is going to be my last service. It don't happen that way. It's the person that comes and sits on the pews and they worship, raise their hands, they go to the prayer room. All of a sudden, they're not going to the prayer room before church anymore. All of a sudden, they're not sitting where they used to sit. They start to digress back a little bit. All of a sudden, they're not raising their hands to frequent or clapping them. All of a sudden, you see them at the back door. All of a sudden, they start hitting and missing some Wednesday, some Sunday night, some, some not. They used to call, now they don't even call at all. And all of a sudden, three months went by and you've not even seen them, heard a hair lick from them. Amen. You've checked on them. Before you know it, they're dead out on the pavement. 
because they were taken by the gradual digression It's a gradual thing. Casting crowns captures the digression best in their song, The Slow Fade. The Course says this, it's a slow fade when you give yourself away. It's a slow fade when black and white are turned to gray. And thoughts invade, choices are made, and a price will be paid when you give yourself away. People never crumble in a day. It's a slow fade. Fade. It's a slow fade. The thing is, we can, as the church, as pastor, we can try to interrupt that digression. But people respond one of two ways. They'll either be like, okay, yep, that's right, pastor. They'll get back on the horse. Or they'll push themselves to a further extent of the perimeter. Choices are made. Choices are made. And so, I love this, Apostle Paul. Man, he went down, embraced that boy. He's alive. Paul returns back to the room where he was preaching. He eats a little bit, gets a little sustenance. Uh, They break bread, and he continues talking until the break of day. (laughs) No one's grinning about that like I am. He continues talking. He preaches long now, I'm telling you, long. Matter of fact, for for a lighter note, someone said, if you're going to preach as long as Paul did, you best be able to raise the dead. Or at least be leaving the next day not to return. (laughs) I'll be back. But oftentimes, as I said, sometimes we preach long because our time upon this earth really is short. And we got a lot to say in just a little bit of time in the grand scheme of things. Verses 13 through 16, again, these are a clump of verses that are just kind of demarking the travel of Paul as he is going towards Syria. He is going to depart from Troas. Oops, I'm sorry, I did that. He's going to depart from Troas. And you see him going down through all these nicely named uh, places. And he's finally going to leave and make his way towards Syria. He's trying to get toward Jerusalem. As a matter of fact, on one point of the journey, and I don't know why, on one point of the journey uh, from Troas to Assos, Paul decides to travel by foot while the others take ship. That's about a 20-mile journey. The Bible doesn't tell us why he did it, but I guess he had his reasons. He traveled by foot rather than sail. And finally, they meet back up with him. And Paul is intentionally, he's thinking, once I leave from over here, I'm intentionally and get over here to Miletus, I am not going up to Ephesus, although he spent a lot of time there. I'm not going up there because I'm trying to get over here to Syria. I'm trying to get to Jerusalem for the Feast of Pentecost. Yet, whenever he gets here to Miletus, not too far from Ephesus, they're kind of loading and unloading ships that happen typically in this area at a port. He's got a little time. So rather than go to them, he sends word that they come to him. And he calls for the elders of the church of Ephesus to come down to Miletus and meet with him there. And so it's in this part of the chapter, like chapter verse number 17 onward, that we start to see Paul give some closing words, departing words, farewell words to the elders of Ephesus, the overseers, the pastors, the presbyters, the leadership 
of the church at Ephesus. And what Paul does with them that we will not get all the way through this week, Paul looks over his ministry and life with them in the past. He, he surveys what's going on right now in the moment, and he kind of forecasts some future things for these elders, some things that they need to consider. He not only considers himself, but he also considers his actions, and he forewarns them, these leaders, of things that they ought to look forward to or be aware of that could happen in the future. So if I may start back up with verse number 17 of Acts 20, the Bible states these words. Let me read to verse number 21, if you will. And from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church. And when they were come to him, he said unto them, You know, from the first day that I came into Asia... After what manner I have been with you at all seasons, serving the Lord with all humility of mine and with many tears and temptations which befell me by the lying and weight of the Jews, and how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have shewed you and have taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. The third thing that Paul learned, so he understands that there will be fruits for your labor, that people fall asleep in church. Number three, that you must have integrity in ministry or more generally in leadership. You must have integrity in leadership. Note what Paul said in verse number 17. He said, from the very first day, the very first day that I came to you, he said, you, you knew what manner I have been with you at all seasons. He said, you, you knew the type of person that I was, the way that I carried myself. He's saying it wasn't hidden from you. He said, I didn't have a facade when I was with you and was somebody else when I wasn't with you. You knew what manner of person, what manner of individual that I was. I was genuine before you. And he states some of these things that demarks his genuineness or demarks what type of manner of person he was. He tells them that he was serving the Lord. Paul, he told him, he said, I was a servant. I was a servant right before you. Matter of fact, he's patterned himself very well after Christ who said that he did not come to be served, but he come to serve. The Bible says he came to give his life a ransom for all, for many. Amen. And so Paul, he's mirroring that. He's mirroring that in his own life. He said, I came to you, I came as a servant. And so the next thing that he states doesn't take us by surprise then. He says, I came to you and I was humble-minded. I was humble-minded. I took the form as Christ did. Philippians 2 spells this out. It talks about the condescending of Jesus Christ, how his home was in glory. Amen. But he came down to the earth. He took up on the form of a man. He was in the likeness of a servant. Amen. He, he, took, he did not have no reputation. Man, Paul followed that stream. He came in the humble form of a servant. What was he in all these cities and towns? Man, getting beaten up on, his life being sought after, and he's trying to start churches. He's working the job as a tent maker. He's being a servant unto the people. And he says, with tears. Now, you know, man, a man, a man of character that can cry in front of others. It takes a lot, because a, a lot of men... Mancho men falls. The only time they're going to cry is in the closet, hidden from everybody else's eyes, because I'm a man. Paul says, you knew what manner of person I was. 
He said, you've seen me cry. You've seen the passion that I had at all times. It was displayed before you. And he says, otherwise concerning his integrity, he speaks to them and the temptations. You saw it when I was tried. As well as you've seen all the times the Jews try to take my life. You've seen when they beat me. You, some of you told me to get out of town whenever it was about ready to happen. You've seen the temptations, all the habit they try to. In other words, I didn't put before you like, yes, I'm a Christian. Everything is great. Nothing ever goes wrong. I didn't put before you as though, well, you don't have to worry about anything. Life is just always great and grand. It's just smelling roses and watching the pink elephants go by. No. He says, I, I lived before you knew what manner. I had temptations. I was tried. You knew that, and that brought comfort to you because you had some scenarios in your life too, but you know what? You said, well, Paul had it, and so he lived his life before them. And I think it's important to note that he said in verse 18, after what manner I have been with you at all seasons. That's important. Paul was not a seasonal leader. In other words, Paul wasn't just connected and ready to be a part when everything was woohoo. But whenever the winter times in those churches came, Paul says, I was with you in all seasons. All seasons of your life. The good seasons, the bad seasons, the ugly seasons, whatever they may call. And so that's a noteworthy mark for the Apostle Paul. That's a noteworthy mark for a leader. Paul was not a fair weather leader. He was with them in their ups and in their downs. He furthermore told them, he said also concerning integrity, well, he said, I don't want you all to know this, I got, I got to be, I have integrity as a leader. He said, I did not keep anything profitable from any of the churches. I didn't keep anything profitable from any of you. He's quite different from some of the charlatans today who claim to minister the gospel. Because whenever Paul's saying profitable, you know, there are some hard facts and hard truths that they may be a little abrasive, but they are still profitable. And so Paul was saying, I did did not keep back anything that was profitable. Even if I thought it might rub you a little wrong, he says if it was going to be profitable for the total outcome of who you were as a church or who you are as an individual, he said, I was going to share it with you because I know in the end... It's profitable unto them. It's profitable unto them. The Bible says in 1 Timothy 4 and 8, whenever Paul writes to Timothy, he says, For bodily exercise profiteth little. He said, But godliness, which defined here in the Greek also is defined as holiness, is profitable unto all things, having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. Paul says this is profitable, just not for now. For how you're living now, but in order to get to where you're living over yonder. Amen. So that we back up again. Paul talking about, man, there's fruits of my labor. Man, some of these days when we get over glory, I'm going to be glad to see you all that lived a holy life. Because that wasn't profitable just for you on the earth. That was profitable for you to be here in glory. Titus 3.8, the Bible says this. This is a faithful saying, and these things I will that thou affirm constantly that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. 
These things are good and profitable unto men. So those that believe in God might be careful to everybody say maintain. Good works. Oh, brother, it's not works. It's a gift. God, let's see about it. He said that you maintain good works because it's good and profitable. Now, what is he contrasting here? I mean, we're just a little few verses here in the book of Titus. What? I mean, if, if those are good works, what are some of the works that, you know, weren't good or, or different from what they had before? I believe verse 3 bears this out because it tells some of those works that were not good that they had practiced before. Verse 3, for we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving divers' lust and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. Amen. Now he steps up and says, hey, y'all, you know, that believe God, if you might continue and carefully maintain some good works opposite to these, different than these, he says it'll be good and profitable to you. Not only that, integrity of Paul's ministry is there. It speaks of him teaching these things. You look at it in verse number 20. Not keeping back anything that was profitable, but it says that he taught them both publicly and privately. He taught the same thing, both publicly and privately. The message did not change. The message did not, it wasn't one thing in public and something different in private. It was the same. And it was the same for the Jew, and it was the same for the Gentile. It didn't matter who he was speaking to. It was the same. In other words, there was only one saving message for all, regardless of their background, public, private, Jew, Gentile. Paul preached the very same thing. I like that type of person. I like the type of person that you can hear him preach on the conference floor, and what he preaches there is the same thing he preaches in his pulpit. Because you could have somebody just prance across a, a conference floor and preach everything that they know that the people out in the audience stand for and believe as an organization and go back home and skirt the issue. Just as a safeguard in my ministry, I don't know of one conference I've preached yet that that sermon that I preached wasn't the sermon that I preached in my church first. Same message, didn't matter who. And look, the Bible says there in verse 20 that he went from house to house. Brother Raymond Bishop, Bishop Raymond Bishop brought this up at our men's conference. And it is exactly true. Here Paul goes from house to house. He's been preaching this message. But if you go back to Acts 8 and 3, Paul went from house to house persecuting before he was ever changed from Saul to Paul. He went from house to house persecuting. Now he's saved and he's went from house to house spreading the gospel. I think there's something to be learned in that. That the same effort that Paul put into persecuting the church, he's putting into soul winning for the church. Not a lesser effort, not of a lesser degree, but he puts in the same effort. Number four, this is the bad thing about me giving bullet points because everybody knows where I'm at. But I had a little bird tell me that this helped them, so I'm just doing it to help somebody, okay? Now, don't come tell me everything else you need help with because I don't know if I got enough time, okay? <laughs> I don't want to get myself into a hole here we can't get out of. <laughs> Number four, thing that Paul, the things that he learned, that you must teach them how to die. And that might seem peculiar. Must teach them how to die. Several weeks ago now, I don't know how many weeks ago it was. I think it's whenever we were going down to the girls, Friends of Within Conference. 
home, one of them. Several weeks ago, I was listening to an interview of, of a pastor by the name of John Grant. I cannot, I can, I can give you a little scope. I cannot even begin to tell you all the physical things that this man had endured in his pastorate and ministry, and I'm saying that in a physical way. In 1995, he had two knee surgeries. He had cancer in his ear that caused an ear canal reconstruction to be had. He had colon cancer in 1997. 54 inches of his colon was removed. He took chemotherapy for a year. He had a heart attack in 1999. His son tragically died around that same time frame. He had a chronic arthritic problem with his ankle. He had prostate cancer in 2012. He became a diabetic in that same year. That's a lot of stuff, folks. I mean, I think there's cancer in there three times. But he said, he was saying, he was saying, in the new millennium, since Y2K until the present time, and this isn't a very old podcast, he said, we have witnessed almost 3,500 people baptized and filled the Holy Ghost in the church. John Grant, that pastor, said this. He said, I had reached a point in my life that I know I had taught my people how to live. However, I thought I was going to begin to teach them how to die. Because the importance of the matter is this. You need to know not only how to live well, but how to die well. That seems, in part, the purpose of Paul for the next few verses to these people that he will never see again. He says, you will see my face no more. As a matter of fact, the thing that sorrowed them most out of this, everything that he said when they finally went down to the river to, or to the ocean and put him in the ship, the thing that they sorrowed most over were his words that they would not see his face any more. And so he teaches them. Really what Paul does is teach them how to respond though there is the threat of death that is abundant surrounding and engaging in your life because that's what Paul was doing as he started on this journey to Syria. Acts chapter number 20 and verse number 22 and I'll try my best to hasten to a close. And when I mean hasten, I mean walk. Acts 20 and verse, <laughs> Acts 20 and verse 22, the Bible states these words. <clears throat> Look at them now. We'll read to verse 27. And, and, and maybe I'll comment as we go along. And now behold, I go bound in the spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there. Paul says, I'm, I'm bound in the spirit. Later, we're going to find out in the book of Acts, he's physically going to be bound with chains. But right now, he's bound in the spirit. Amen. And there's one thing that I absolutely believe uh, tonight, Sister Cox, that Paul was, was able to bear the chain in his physical bonds because he was spiritually arrested before that day ever came. I believe Paul was able to endure his physical bonds because he had already been arrested spiritually by the Spirit. Verse 23, the Bible says, save. He says, I don't know what's going to befall me. He said, save, or another word, except that the Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city saying that bonds and affliction abide me. 
we see that even verbalized. We see that even recorded and written in the next chapter. It seems like every city that Paul goes to, people are saying, Paul, you sure you want to go to Jerusalem? You know, someone's had a vision, a dream, whatever. I, I, I see that you're going to be bound there, that something's going to happen to you there, you know, so on and so forth. But you know what Paul did? Thanks for the information. Like I didn't know already. I'm going anyway. I'm going anyway. So he doesn't know the totality of everything that he will face. And people by the Holy Ghost constantly tell him, you know what, it's going to be bonds, it's going to be affliction. But Paul is even convinced. He's And Paul himself, I mean, he's so convinced about how bad it could be. He's telling these people, he's leaving you, you're not going to see my face again. You know, so all this is trickling downhill. And so he says in verse 24, people are saying bonds and affliction. Here's his response. But none of these things move me. What? But none of these things move me. Neither count I my life dear unto myself so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. You're saying I'm going to suffer bonds and affliction? I'm saying to these people, I'll probably never see their face again. I'm, I, I, I'll probably die before they ever see me again. But he says, in spite of knowing all these things, he's determined to go, and he's not shaken with the knowledge of what could happen, what might happen. He doesn't even consider, the Bible says, his own life. What is he considering then? He's considering his mission to finish his course. That's the course of his life that he lived, but not just that course, but the course of his ministerial life. Folks, it's, it, it, it's more than just living well. It's dying well. It's dying well. He says, I, I, I'm not even giving account to it. I got a course in this life. I got, I got to make sure that I finish this thing the way that I started this thing. Yeah. Paul says, I had a conversion not long ago, and I was a persecutor. And he said, I've started on a journey here. I got to finish this thing the way that I started this thing. Can somebody, can somebody get in their minds tonight? It's not about just the life we live right now, but it's about whenever we suck in that last breath of air in our lungs and we exhale it through our nose, our, our mouth, that we have finished our story the same way our story was started and that was empowered by the Spirit and the glory of God and that hopefully from the point A and point B we have lived, yes, well, but we need to die well. We... Yes, we need to die well. Paul says, not only this life, but I got a course of ministry. I mean, once again, he's probably thinking of that vision. I'm going to go to Rome. I'm going to drop by Rome on my way to Spain. You remember that from last week? Having that vision, having that tenacity. I'm going to make it all the way to Spain. Amen. I, I got I to ride this way while it's in the air. You know, that's the, the idea of the Apostle Paul. I got to ride this thing until it absolutely ends. It's my call. It's my ministry. It's the reason why I was put where I'm put and doing what I'm doing. So he had, he learned that you got to, you got to teach people how to die well. There's no person that probably did it any better, hardly, than the apostle Paul. Verse 26 and 27, if I stop there, I don't know, let me see where I was at here. Verse 25, 
And now behold, I know that ye all among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God shall see my face no more. That's what he had said. Verse 26, here it is. Wherefore, I take you to record this day. So from going to the past and, and telling a little bit about the future and the present of what's ahead of him, he says, I'm taking you to record today, this day, that I am pure from the blood of all men. For I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. Verse 26 and 27 kind of connects back with that third thing about how we must have integrity in ministry. Kind of connects back to that. Because while Paul's describing and he's talking about his course of ministry and his course of life, he reflects on how well he has stayed true to his ministry's purpose. He says, I am pure from the blood of all men, and I've not shunned to declare to you the all the counsel of God. In other words, I didn't pick and choose and say, well, this would be good for Dan, and that would be good, but I dare not do that. That might make them look bad. They'll be able, they'll be able to digest that and handle that, but this part here of the word, that's a little strong. They might not. No. Paul says all of it. I've declared all the counsel of God. And as a result, I don't have blood. I don't have your blood on my hands as a result of it. I think, Bishop, that maybe Paul was thinking back to the book of Ezekiel. If we can go there tonight, Ezekiel chapter number 3, and I'll, I'll, I'll bring closure to this. You better be glad I didn't try to finish this chapter tonight. I'll tell you. <laughs> Amen. We'd have a Paul scenario all over again. Ezekiel chapter number 3 and verse number 16. I want to go to it in my Bible as well. I know it's there on the screen, but I just like having it right here in front of my face. Ezekiel 3 and verse number 16. Look what the Bible says here. I think maybe perhaps this is something that Paul was thinking upon. And it says, And it came to pass at the end of seven days that the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, this is Ezekiel speaking, Son of man, I have made thee a watchman unto the house of Israel. Wherefore, hear the word at my mouth and give them warning from me. Watchman. He says, I've set you, Ezekiel, as a watchman. Many times the watchman has been regarded as, as the pastor, the overseer of, of assembly, so on and so forth. This is what the word of the Lord said. Verse 18. When I say unto the wicked, thou shalt surely die, thou givest, and thou givest him not warning. Speaking to the watchman. Nor speakest to warn the wicked from his wicked way to save his life. The same wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood will I require at thine hand. So if you know there's a wicked man, he's going to die, and you do not sound the warning in his life, then you watchman, when he dies, and he dies in his iniquity, that blood is on your hands. Verse 19, yet if thou warn the wicked, and he turn not from his wickedness, nor from his wicked way, he shall die in his iniquity, but thou hast delivered thy soul. In other words, if you know this is a wicked man and he's going to die and you sound the alarm, but he just rejects, doesn't pay attention, doesn't adhere to your warning, and he dies in his iniquity, it's on his head, not your hands. Verse 20. Again, when a righteous man doth turn from his righteousness and commit iniquity, and I lay a stumbling block before him, and he shall die. Because thou hast not given him warning, he shall die in his sin, and his righteousness which he hath done shall not be remembered, but his blood will I require at thine hand. So he even says, if there's a righteous man, 
If he flubs up and turns away from his righteousness and starts doing sinning and you don't sound the alarm and he dies in his iniquity, he's going to die in his iniquity and all the righteousness that he's done up to that point will not be remembered. But it's going to be required of your hand. Watchman, pastor, teacher, whoever, because you didn't sound the warning. But the next verse says, verse 21, Nevertheless, if thou warn the righteous man, that the righteous sin not, and he doth not sin, he shall surely live, because he is warned. Also thou hast delivered thy soul. Paul says, I'm pure from the blood of all these men. You know what he's saying? I kept the alarm sounding when the alarm needed to be sounded. I sounded it to the wicked, and I sounded it to the righteous that had left the righteousness to become sinners. I sounded it. I sounded it. So he's saying it's up to you to do with what has been sounded. You can either heed the call or you can reject the call. But I know as I leave and depart this day and you and I may never see face to face again, I have sounded the alarm. You have a choice. And whatever happens, happens. Die well. Die well. If you can stand with me tonight, now close. So four things here in particular thus far that Paul learned just for a recap. There are fruits to your labor. He witnessed that in those that were accompanying him over to Asia. People do fall asleep in church. For various reasons. And you must have integrity in ministry. You must. And you must teach people. We must. As leaders. People responsible in our life. As a pastor, I think I'm responsible. Need to be. Must teach people. Not just how to live well. But how to die well. Can we go right now to the Lord in prayer together tonight? Father, I come to you here. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you, and have a blessed day.